welcome to the Conscious Leadership Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss the how-to of creating conscious leadership for business, life and the world. With ordinary people doing extraordinary things and being truly in control of their own health, wealth and happiness. Knowledge plus action with a plan creates magical results. Introducing your host, Julie Hogbin, author, international speaker, mentor, disruptor and creator of Conscious Leadership and property investor living in the UK. Hi everybody, so Julie Hogbin here from Conscious Leadership and I am interviewing Hasmita Reardon down here in Sitting Vaughan in Kent and um, this is the first recording Hasmita's done. I think you're going to hear a lot more from this lady. We've just been having a, um, a conversation about her story and what we're going to talk about. So we're just going to go completely into conversational mode. Um, and Hasmita just said to me, I'm not polished and I'm not a public speaker. And I'm just, I've just said, you don't need to be. I truly believe that people want real, raw, honest conversation that we're actually as a society changing and my personal belief is we're getting really sick and fed up of the slick salesperson whether that be man or women because we can both do it mm. so we're just going to go into a um a conversation so I know Hasmita has property I know she runs a charity and I know she's going to be doing some mentoring and I've just discovered that she actually come into the UK as a refugee so this is a woman who has gone against all the odds really I'm going to say in some respects <laughs> to get to where she's got to so um I think maybe we start where you started maybe coming into the UK because so you've just said to me that you're a refugee I didn't even know that and yeah. I don't need to know it that's the other thing don't need to know it but do you no, want to share a little bit about yeah, that of course yeah I came into this country at the age of 11 um it was from Uganda where Idi Amin he was the president of yeah. um, president of Uganda decided that all Uganda and Asians had to leave, and it, they he, did, he announced this in August, and we had to leave by um, November, and everybody dispersed uh, different parts of the uh, different parts of the world. Really, we was allowed into the UK just with my mum and my brother, who was eight at the time, wow. because she had a British protected passport because UK owned some of Africa years ago. Yeah. So he was allowed into the country, but my, my poor dad wasn't. He wasn't allowed into the country at all because he had an African passport. So we were split up, not knowing whether he's going to survive out there or not because they had... Um, later on, I found out there was 350,000 Asians that were actually tortured yeah. and killed. It was horrendous. Yeah. I remember it. Yeah. What year was that? 72. 72. Yeah. So when we, when we eventually... Even the joke, but the three, during the three months, there was a lot of curfews going on. Yeah. I was, I was a nightmare child, so I was out playing <laughs> with my brother, and we had to hide behind this sandbank because the security guards and the army were walking around. You could see their feet at the time. And um, I just told my brother to be quiet, and he was on this building site, and he cut his, um, he cut his knee. So I had to try and, I ripped my dress, and I tried to just stop him bleeding until they went, and then I carried him all the way home. Wow. So, but all the, it, the, where the curfew was, I had to shut all the, um, if no one's allowed out, he wasn't allowed out after seven o'clock, and all the lights had to be out as well, so you can imagine the panic with my mum going on at the time. Yeah, because the two children so, weren't yeah, home. That, yeah, and then she knew that the military were around. <laughs> I was a naughty child. But, yeah, 
But the big kids, you know, you're doing kids things. And yeah, you don't of course you are. The time and no. that's it. But obviously, you don't even think of danger when you're young. That young. No, and you don't think about political no. stuff going on, do you? No. It's just and not. My mum like played it down anyway, quite a lot, and it was an adventure to us. So we packed, packed everything in one suitcase that we were allowed to bring over. The rest of it could come by cargo, which we did, but we lost it or we never did get that back. And we tried, but we never got any of it back. So we literally had one suitcase wow. of £25. And the gold you could wear, but my mum had a little bit of gold, but um, which she managed to bring over. As that was her investment um, given to her when she was married. So, yeah, so once we once we landed at Heathrow in November, I think it was November the 24th, it was about five, six inches of snow. I was going to say, what's the, no, I was going to say, what's the difference in the temperature? Oh, and it was the... awful. It was so cold. I've never felt cold like it because I've never felt cold. No. You know, I lived in a hot country for yeah. all of my life, really. So, yeah, so that was it. I had flip-flops, no, no coat, nothing. And we landed at Heathrow Airport, didn't know how to use the payphone, didn't have two keys. So the passerby helped us and my mum rang my, my uncle up and come and got us. Took us, took us to his house and phoned um, the, it was called the UK Resettlement Board, phoned them yeah. up and they come and got us a taxi to do a refugee camp in West Morning. Right. So that's where we was in. So that's how you stayed in Kent then? That's yeah. how you've ended up in Kent? Yeah. Just because of where the refugee? Yeah, it's still there. I mean, the, the, the actual dormitories, there was an army uh, yeah. barracks, so they were called and dogged by cartons, so we just had the three single beds and a, and a locker. But the next family obviously had their bit, but they were just curtains like you have in hospital. But, so yeah, we landed there five in the morning, and there was, I always remember this lady, she had like silvery hair, probably in her late 60s, 70s, like really kind, but although I couldn't speak the language and I didn't understand what she was saying, I knew she was kind. Yeah, you know, tone she of voice. didn't have to say anything, no. she just yeah. tucked us up in bed and fed us and... She was, I still visualise her now, and I still remember her. So, but she was the first kindest kind face I saw when I first landed here. So, so that's interesting, really isn't it? Isn't eleven? So you couldn't speak the language? No, I couldn't speak the language. I was, um, couldn't read or write, and we did have a school within the camp. And the only thing I couldn't do was the pound sign. <laughs> <laughs> I was getting it backwards, upside down. I just could not do the pound sign. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it was really nice. I mean, we had a lot of donations from the community giving us coats and shoes and things like that because we never had any of that. I remember, I remember that at the time. It was, I just have these vague, so what would I have been in 72? I'd have been, oh, probably the same age as you. Yeah. 72, I'd have been 12. Yeah, around that, yeah, you've been around the same age. I remember it being horrendous, just horrendous. I, yeah. But I don't remember... Yeah, it's yeah. stuck in my it's stuck in my brain. Wow. Yeah. Okay. If I if wow. I went back, if I go back, I should have gone back when we first left um, the airport, at the, the Entebbe Airport. There was a lot of shootings going on. They were killing people at the airport. A lot of lot of bodies. While you were boarding the plane to leave. Yeah, but I didn't know they were dead. My mum said that my mum said they were sleeping. They were tired. They were waiting for the plane, and she made it into an adventure for us because obviously she didn't want us to be shocked by all of that or be left with it so but she didn't tell us maybe she probably only told us about 10 years ago that that was the case I didn't even 
it didn't even occur to me. I just got on the plane like you do, you know, yeah. quite happy. <laughs> going, well, going you, to London. It's the interesting thing, isn't it? Children, if, 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 if as parents, and I'm not a parent, but I know you are. Yeah. If as parents we put the positive messages into our ch- kids' Children, heads, yeah. it makes such a difference to the Definitely. memories and how they then live their life. Yeah, yeah. So she's, she's made it an adventure. Said, and yeah, she made it an adventure. We wasn't affected by it to that point, but obviously we was as we was struggling yeah. with the language barrier, the not having no no money, didn't know where my dad was. Yeah. So my dad, my dad then was, we found out, he, well, we didn't know where he was. We searched for him for four months with the help of the Red Cross and all the volunteers within the camp. We didn't know where he was. And then we got a message one day that the Red Cross had found him in Austria. So... There was a camp there, so they smuggled him across um, the border, across there. So we found him, and he was alive. But we, he was presumed dead. Wow! Because of, because so many people were killed, had died, died. Yeah, and he was he was actually Idi Amin was actually named um, the human butcher of Uganda. That's what even today, if you look on the internet, that's what he's called because he was such an evil man. Um, what he did to human beings wasn't. It was just awful. So I don't, I don't see this as a bad experience. I see it as I've took a posit- I've taken it as a positive, and it's changed my life for the better. So I, I'm actually, I'm actually glad, and I'm, I'm quite thankful for him for throwing me out of the country. <laughs> <laughs> I've been thrown out of better place. <laughs> it's interesting. I wonder what your life would have ended up. I know. I, I do. If you'd have stayed sometimes. over there, but I think it, I don't think I would have had the mindset that I've got now because we lived. We lived, I've lived in a mud hut, that's where it started, yeah. I've lived in tin huts, I've lived, the, the house we lived in there wasn't massive, it was a tiny little, like a tiny little flat in a little village, so, but things like investing in property, I don't think would have ever happened, and I would have just got married off, I think, and probably not been happy. Well, that would have been the culture, wouldn't it? It would have been then, I would have accepted it. Yeah, because yeah. you so, wouldn't have known, you wouldn't have known anything different. No, exactly, but I wouldn't have the life I've got now no so actually i so now i've i've grown up even now i just think anything that happens in your life happens for a reason yeah and there's i always totally a agree with that and that you'll find that reason later although you're going through hurt and pain yeah and, and you know my up- upbringing was okay but my dad suffered from depression because of this yeah so he wasn't so i couldn't go off to universities or anything like that because my mum needed help at home like that so it's it, it was quite difficult for him to settle down. And they, don't forget there are adults yeah. to settle down with the language yeah. area. It's not as easy for them as um, it is with children, that's mom, for sure. My mum, bless her heart, she went to um, evening schools to try and learn, read and write English. So she gets by, she's good. My dad was quite broken. But, yeah, he was bullied at work because, it's, it's a, you know, some people aren't very nice. They're cultural thing. You've come to this country, you're taking jobs and there's all that sort of thing. But... But bless him, he got into a job straight away and he stayed in the paper mill for 25 years. My mum stayed at um, Bennett Opie's, which is a cherry factory for what she probably was there about good 25 years. And they went straight into a job and never, ever, ever claimed housing benefit, never claimed any part of benefits through the country at all. So, I, I think, I wonder how many, I wonder how many people do come into the country. Because I know there's some bad press going out about, you know, people coming yeah. into the country and all the rest of it. I think I think a lot of people would never take a penny out of the out of the out of the system, no. for want of a better word, yeah. because they're too 
they've got enough pride and it's wherewithal pride and, and, yeah. and everything else it's to go out and make their own life, yeah. as they would in their own country. Exactly. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So how did you go from how you've just described yeah. to being a, a multi-property <laughs> owner, living in a very nice house, yeah. um, you know, married, three children, yeah. and we've just had a long conversation, so, you know, share what you want out. But how do you go from where you started to where you are now? Because part of this Conscious Leadership podcast is around us as the individuals we are doesn't matter what age doesn't matter where we come from doesn't matter where we start yeah making those decisions to get from where we are to where we want to be, want yeah. to be. i mean you must have you've not let anything hold you back that's no, for sure no no I'm so how do you go from taker. that to, so you're a massive risk taker i well when my my dad passed away at 59 because he was he was a he had emphysema but b he was very depressed had uh, he, he was about to lose his job had to pay for meals that was happening all over again oh. so you can imagine the stress levels that were there and so he suddenly passed away um he, the paper mill paid out an insurance of 90,000 which then my mum split between the three of us and the solicitor said the solicitor actually sorted it and said look the, your money's down here and I said, oh, I don't know, it's my dad's money, I don't know, I'll just keep it there, I can't take it at the moment, so I was obviously yeah. grieving. Yeah. And then she phoned me and said, look, you need to come and get this money, Hazzy, she said, because I'm going to have to give it to the Inland Revenue. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Which I found out wasn't the truth, because that was her way of you getting, getting the money. money. And she said, look, just go and do something useful with it. I still see that, my solicitor there. So, yeah, So and then I, I, it was in my book. And I'm looking at it every day, and I needed carpets in my house. I had three young boys. Um, kitchen needed doing because I painted it, and I'm really not a good painter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, and my bathroom needed doing. It was an old terraced house, so you can imagine, like, it's Victorian, so it needed a yeah. dating. So I could have easily have made a lovely home for my children. And But I thought, no, I'll keep my floorboards. I'll get it later. And when I, so I went off on a tangent that, no, I'm going to invest it in property. My husband thought I'd gone completely loopy. Let me get on with it. <laughs> so I, I started on this property journey, found houses, and I had 10 failed mortgages because buy-to-lets wasn't really around at that time. What year was this, roughly? It was ni 1997. Okay. Not many buy-to-lets at all. Yeah. Um, and then me being a woman yeah. on a mission, nobody yeah. liked. No. And it was like, oh, no, this is what go away. It's fine. You, you know... Just going look, and I went through lots of mortgage brokers. I went through lots of banks, and I was, and I just get closed, and they decline it every time. Ten times that happened. Do you know why? I guess I think found, I didn't. I, I think, mean, I think it may have been because it could have been credit rating because I didn't have a good credit rating because obviously I was young, twenty. I think I was twenty. No, I was thirty-two. Um, it could have been. It could have been the fact that they didn't like the rental side of it. Yeah. It could have been that that building society found out that I was going to rent it out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the buy-to-lets wasn't... And yet it was all those things. Oh, and also I already had a mortgage, so they didn't yeah. like second mortgages. No. But every time there was different reasons. And then the last one was because I owed £27 to Southern Water, but I hadn't paid. So I said, I'll pay it, it's fine. And um, so I paid that. But it was all, all silly things, and in the end, I thought, oh, you, my husband said, do you know what, you're putting yourself through this stress, just give up. I said, I'm not giving up, there's no way I'm giving up. So I went off on one again. And, uh, <laughs> um, listeners, I think there might be a theme running through here <laughs> for, any, for anybody that wants to 
get stuff done, do not give get up. up. Yeah, just no, persevere no, through. I mean, oh. te- so let me just ask you a question for those of you that are listening to this interview. Would you have gone through 10 refusals to get a mortgage for your first rental property when you're a mum of three young boys <laughs> and your husband's saying, give up, you're putting yourself through a lot of grief. <laughs> Would you have gone through that 10 times? Just ask yourself that question. Go on, carry on. I think it's yeah. fabulous. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I went down to the, another mortgage broker company. Um, he managed, he said, look, I think we're going to have to go commercial here. Try commercial. And we went through Kent Reliance. And yeah, okay. Commercial, my first commercial mortgage. So I was over the moon, but I had to pay £10,000 deposit, 30%. And um, we had to, it was about nine, 8.9% in mortgage rate. So I literally, I've got that mortgage, I've got the house, I was, and, I, and I had to refurbish it myself. We, we all come up to him and got it done, and out, and out it went mental. But I used to have £350 a month in rent, and my mortgage was £350. So everything else was done at my husband's wages, just to keep that house going. Yeah. And people still couldn't see what I was doing, and I didn't know what I was doing, to be fair. It's just that I think it was down to security. I think it was, I was homeless when I come here. We were yeah. going from room to room. We were yeah. renting like horrible houses, and then we and then we ended up in a council house, which is fine. I'm really proud of that. Brought up in a council house, so I think it was security, not even making money. It was that that was my house, and so no one was yes. going to take it away from me. So, if you bought that in '97, do you do you still have it? Yeah. Okay. So, what did you, if if I can ask, what did you buy it for? I bought it for twenty-seven thousand. And what's it valued at now? One hundred and eighty-six hundred and eighty-five now. So that's say it was thirty to one hundred eighty. That's thirty sixty. So that's that's like thirty sixty. That's six times the value now yeah. than it was when you bought it. Yeah. From ninety-seven <clears throat> to where are we now? Nineteen. That's in twenty. Two years. Twenty-two wow. years. So anybody listening to this, and I know Hasmita's going to talk about her um, mentoring and coaching a bit further down the the line. Just think about that. So in 19 years, that property has um, six times times itself valued. Haven't said that very well. But it's multiplied its original purchase price by six times. Yeah, they double probably every seven years. Yeah. So think about what that really means if you think about property long term so i'm a property investor as well yeah i get it i didn't fall into it until to, i say fall into it choose to do it till something like i don't know 2011 2012 yeah. um you know and things went up a lot in price around the kent yeah. area <laughs> but getting that first one even getting one if that's all you get if you can get two with the increase in value and the younger you start yeah. they still go up so you know Please yeah. listen, listen to this. Yeah. So fabulous. So, okay. So then what happened? Because I know you run a charity as well, and I'm not saying talk about that now, but. Yeah, then, then I got, well, I've got three properties. Then I thought, actually, there's one each for the boys. That's yep. my dad's money now utilised. I haven't wasted it. In fact, that 30000 is back in that book. So it's not wasted at all. And, and I think the reason I took massive risks is because that money's back in the book. I've had a, I haven't lost anything. I've yeah. got nothing to lose. No. Only as uh, long as I didn't lose that thirty grand, I was happy. Yeah. So I didn't have nothing to lose. I didn't have any fears, and that's why yeah. I thought, well, I've just got to carry on now. So having the three, the equity started raising up, 
started remortgaging them and then the buy to let market started yeah. coming. And then that was it, I was away. Because people started <laughs> believing me then. And I was I was, I just kept saying somebody needs to give me a chance. I know what I want to do, somebody needs to give me a chance. But yes, I was I was well away and I started to play Monopoly, literally. I was remortgaging six, but buying six. And my solicitor would be pulling his hair out. And he'd go, Andy, what if that money doesn't come in? It'd be fine. It'll come in. Just make just wait. Hang it out. <laughs> so, yeah, so he, he, he I, still, I still see that solicitor. He's still he's a good friend of mine. And he comes around and sees me a lot. And he still laughs about those times. And he goes, oh, I used to, call, I used to really get stressed with you, has he? And I said, yeah, no, it's fine. Have faith. <laughs> So again, for me, there's something there about you believed that it was going to happen. So yeah, nothing was going to gonna stop you. No, it had to happen because I knew the money would come in. And I, and actually, if I I know it's a horrible way of looking at it, but if I bought six houses and they fell through, I'm not committed. They fall through. They fall through. Yeah. And that can happen today, can't it? Yeah. You're not committed absolutely. To so yeah, what's the worst absolutely. that can happen is it costs you. Pull out. It costs you, and it costs you a little bit of we money. Got, uh, yeah, with, with the, the solicitors' fees and, the and solicitors, surveys and yeah, stuff. He, he used to do us a deal anyway, so it's all right. But yeah, so that's that's how I've been. That's how he. I mean, my husband. Well, how he's still with me, I don't know. <laughs> he'd, he'd come home and he'd say, "What have you been up to today?" I said, "I've been. I took the boys out, went to the park, went to the zoo, whatever." And oh, and I bought another house. <laughs> And it was just, he said to you, you know, most women go out and buy bags and shoes. You've got to buy houses. <laughs> so, yeah, so, um, but yeah, so that's how it used to go on. But I was just, I was, I was on a mission and I was going to, and I didn't have a figure in mind where I was going to get to. All I wanted to know is I had security and I was never going to be homeless again. Yeah. Because I won't be now. Even if I sold up, I'd still have at least one house to live in, wouldn't I? Yeah, so, yeah. And I wanted to make my life, my my life financially free. I wanted to make the boys' lives financially free, and more to the point, my husband used to do driveways. Right. So I, I used to. I wanted him away from that because it's hard work out there yeah, doing that. Yeah. Very. And then one day I said to him, right, we've got this house, and I think there's some garages on the side. He said, you know what? We'll get two houses on there because he's a builder. So I said, fine, let's do that. Got planning. <laughs> <laughs> So he said, right, he said, um, I said, well, you can go and build those now. And he said, I don't know how to build houses. I only know how to do driveways. Was there a go and learn? No, it was like, I said, look, you're doing driveways, you're doing bricks. I said, all you've got to do is build them up. <laughs> <laughs> but he did it. He did it. He did them really well. We still got those houses now. So, he, yeah, he's done well. So that's where the building side started. Yeah. Yeah, and then, yes, I was well away. I was enjoying it. and um, I, I find it really interesting how one decision leads to a different decision, leads to another decision, leads yeah. to a different business, leads to an add-on of a business. Yeah, yeah. And I'm still I know adding you... on now because I'm looking for different income sources. I'm looking for different ways to yeah. just get bored. I have, to, I have to do different things. I need new challenges. Are you naturally inquisitive? Yeah, yeah. I have to keep... I, I need... If I... Last, the last few months, I've started to get bored. I hit a brick wall. I didn't want to do any more buy-to-lets because I've got enough. But government legislation's yeah. kicking in fast and furious. And to the point where I actually sold 10 houses where I got so fed up with the legislation keep coming to us. And then the clause 24 came in. And yeah. I thought, well, the government have just got it in for landlords. And, yeah, it certainly appears you know, that way at the moment. So, 
And yeah, it did feel like that. And then I thought, no, all I'm doing is following the sheep. I am just doing what everybody else is doing. I'm panicking. Stopped, that's why I stopped going to landlord meetings. I'm yeah. out there depressed. Yeah. So I thought, I've got to turn this around now. And then I went back to, I, I thought back, I thought back to where I first started. I thought, hang on a minute. I started here with no internet, no Google, no yeah. books. No yeah. one's helping me buy to let, no yeah. people to go into, no mentors. There was nothing. And I literally went diving in with my money and took that risk on my own. And I had to do, like, my accounts in a little book, like the old-fashioned. And I still yeah. got those books. And they're pathetic. They're really bad. <laughs> <laughs> but to look at them, you think, how did you run a business? Or how did you run a tenancy? Tenancies, I had to just go to WH Smiths and make one up myself. So, really, that was the hard, that was the hard time. That was the challenging time. So, I'm thinking, why can't I just... Do what the government. I can. I, I can take government on. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. But I think. I think we all have to take, for want of a better phrase, take the government on. And I think that's part of the point of this um, podcast, conscious leadership. It's about making the decisions that get us in control of what, what we're doing, doing. Yeah. To, to the level we can. We control what we do. We influence where we can. Yeah. And we just get on with it, whatever it is, because it will be different. Yeah. And I, for... I took positives out of it. I know it's hard at the moment, but I think every industry has to have yeah. legislation. And I think yeah. this is a good thing now because it's actually removing road landlords, which yeah. gives us a bad name. Yes. And I've done everything right, done everything by the book. We look after our tenants, we do all the right things. Yeah. But now it's going to be, I think they're talking about licensing landlords. So not, I, yeah. don't think I, I don't have a problem with that. Because actually I can put my certificate up and say, no, I am a good landlord. So Well, we've got the PRS and we've got CPD and we've got all, all sorts of, of stuff. Yeah, and, and the schemes. Yeah. I've, joined, I've done everything I've yeah. asked to do. And actually, it's making the business more professional. So I'm yes. hoping it will be seen as a professional business yeah. one day. One day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when we get rid of some, some more of the rogue ones. But yeah, one day. Yeah. So um, I just want to go back a bit because you said that when you first got the money that you invested into your first three houses, you actually didn't have carpets on the floor. No. And you said that you'd painted your own kitchen and you're not a good decorator. <laughs> There's something in there for me because I think we, in this 21st century, for some of us, not all of us, because I've learned a lesson in the last few years about why have I got all this stuff? I know, yeah. There's something in there for me about um, delayed gratification. Because, yeah. you know, I think any mum would go, I need carpets on the floor for, for the children, boys. Yeah. And you didn't do that. No. So what was going on for you? So how long was it before you got your carpets? Probably about a year later. <clears throat> when my rental started coming in a bit, I think I went to the local shop and I, I probably put it on a credit card or something. I shouldn't have done, but... Oh, no, I didn't. Tell a lie. I didn't. There was a gypsy bloke that used to live in Tenham and he used to sell them really cheap. <laughs> I went to him. <laughs> we went to him and had to deal with him. And he... Yeah, that's where I used to get all my carpets, even for my houses. That's where I... The corded carpets. Yeah, yes, I know. I've done that. Yeah. It's interesting because I just... just thinking about this so when the houses that I've ever bought and owned and now have for rental I have always bought them as complete and utter wrecks yeah and lived in them while whatever the refurb that needed was being Doing. done oh, okay. so I've lived in the mess and the muck oh, and the yeah, mire yeah, yeah but I didn't and I've done that if you like for myself to yes. get myself to a nice position but I didn't know when I was doing all of that but actually I could have more than one house oh, I didn't okay. I didn't know that 
Um, I didn't know that I could have tenants. I didn't know that property was a business. I didn't. Oh, no, no, Not no. until 2011, 2012. Yeah. I suddenly went, what's going on out there in this big, huge, wide world? Yeah. And how, how do I get into that yeah. to protect myself yeah. and to have a mortgage, not a mortgage, to have a pension yeah. that I actually truly think the government is not going to give us when yeah. we get yeah. older. The pension age now for women, or for me, I think it's now 67. Yeah. But are they going to have that money in six, seven years' and are time? Are you going to be able to live on it? No. no you can't live no. on it now. No, of course you can't. So there's this whole thing in here about you know, taking control of our own future, future which exactly yeah. is exactly what you've done, which yeah. I applaud. <laughs> I think, oh, I do. I think it's fabulous. But I've taken control of my boys' futures as well, see, because they're all set up now. They've all got a house each. Yeah. I've helped them with that. So I want them to do well in life, and I want them to have... Uh, and they still work, don't they, your they boys? Work, yeah, because one, the older son manages my... Well, funny, if I go back last couple of years ago, my my husband had his bowel perforated. Oh. So we nearly lost him. Oh. Literally that two hours, and he would have passed away. So oh, God. Bad. Right. And we just started building some houses, and then I'm thinking, now what am I going to do? I'm never going to be able to build houses, but leave it. It's fine. I'll sort it. And my two younger sons said, Mum, don't worry, we'll sort it. And they jumped on it and they started building them. And my older son jumped in the office and he said, don't worry, Mum, we'll sort out the netting side. So the three boys just took over and I didn't need to worry. Fabulous. But, but the, 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 day, oh, the day my husband had his op, he came out of uh, theatre and we were sitting in hospital and he, was, uh, he knew he was going to be OK. He's ended up with a colostomy bag, which is fine, saved his life. Yeah. So I applauded the NHS. Yeah. Did a fantastic they, job. Yeah. Really did. And um, saved his life and everything. But that was what there was the reality check when I was sitting there, the security side of not being homeless gone away. But I was sitting there thinking, do you know what? I made the right decisions. Although the property is really hard, it's not easy as it sounds. It's been yeah. hard. It's been a, a roller coaster constantly. But the day I, I sat there and I said to my husband, do you know what? You're laying in hospital, almost passed away. I'm sitting here. I can't go to work because so I'm sitting here keeping you company, which is what yeah. I want to do. Yeah. But my money's still coming in. Yes. You know, and I'm still I'm still not having to worry because for a split second I worried, thinking, where's my wages going to come from? Where's I've got to pay for the car park? I've, I've got to I've got to pay the bills because he's the breadwinner in, in in essence. That's how life is. But but then you know that reality that gave me a massive reality check that I did the right thing. Yeah. Because I don't doesn't matter what happens in my life now. I will the money's you, you earn money while you're sleeping while you're in. Even when he was in theatre, he was earning money, wasn't he? he was yeah, of course, because it's hours, still got he the, was earning money. The, the rent coming in. Yeah. I know when I, when I got into my start of my property journey, I thought I wanted to be. So I remember going into my first um, mentor, um, and he said to me, what do you want? And I said, I want to have £17 million worth of property in a year. <laughs> and I remember him looking at me, and he never said anything at the time. You know, and with hindsight, that's... <laughs> Not, not really what happens. Wrong with the dream, it's a dream. It's still, I'm, yeah, I'm still not there. Nowhere near. Yeah. But I've got enough to, to sort my pension out. And I've got enough for an income, which, because I'd, I'd given up my job. I was a partner in a firm, gave up my job. But what I realised was my, my goal, my why, my whatever you want to yeah, call it, right, my purpose, yeah. um, was actually to spend quality time with my parents in yes. their older years. Yeah, which is what I'm doing now. Yeah, yeah. so... For, for whatever reason you do it, yeah. there's an outcome yeah. that 
even if you don't know it at the time, it gives you access to. Does yeah, that make sense? Yes, yes. Um, yeah, so now I'm now I'm re re reinvigorating my yeah. whole my yeah. whole thing. But yeah, because yeah. now mum and dad are not here, I've done no regrets. Done, that, done yeah. the thing, done what I wanted to do, same as you know, I'll you've do done. That with my mum and my mum do you know what? I don't know how many times a week she says it. She said, you know, if you was going to work, who would look after exactly. me? Who would take me to hospitals? Who exactly. Would, you know, and, and I said, Don't worry, I'd sort it but She's right, because if you've got a nine-to-five job, you've, you've, you can't do it. You can't do it. No, you can't do worry. it. Yeah, you don't have the you freedom know? when you've got no. a job as such. Yeah. So. Okay, so so I know that you, you're going to launch yourself into doing some mentoring and that, but I don't want to talk about that yet, if you don't mind. <laughs> we can perhaps end on that. I'd love to know, because I know you've started a charity. I know you've got a charity. Yeah. Um, tell me a bit about that. that was because another challenge. Con- contribution... <laughs> Giving back is part of my. It's part of what I yeah, do. It, yeah. I I provide education for children. I build schools for children as part of my contribution. I give yeah. a certain percentage of my income to charities. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and you've actually started your own. Yeah, we can't do it the whole hog. <laughs> so what have you done? When did you do it? I started volunteering for a local charity, and I was on their board and for domestic abuse charity. Right. And because. I realised a lot of our tenants were suffering from domestic abuse and I couldn't ah, help them. Okay. So that's where it all sort of kicked off, but literally. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I started volunteering, learning about it, went on a lot of courses and things. So apart from running the property business, before the boys got involved, I was volunteering as well one day a week, doing programmes and projects and fundraising and all sorts of things. And then I decided that the women that was supposedly needed to go to refuge they they wasn't always taking them and there was a reason behind that they wouldn't take boys over the age of 12 because yeah. they have learned behavior from the dad they wouldn't take um you know if you have uh, my first lady was 80 years old she couldn't go on a train up to norfolk somewhere where wherever she's been placed because you don't get a choice if you need to 80 refuge. years old suffering yeah. from domestic abuse yeah the son was abusing her ah. social services got involved and um, they phoned me, the council phoned me, so I've got a really good relationship with the council. And I said, oh, actually, I've got a flat, I said, up the, up the road, which, which is um, ideal for a disabled person. I said, put her in there for now, and we'll sort her out, and we'll worry about it later. Again, didn't look into rules, didn't look into... <laughs> oh, I love <laughs> so it. I break the rules. <laughs> so I just went with it, because actually, it doesn't matter what rule I broke, that lady needed, needed help, help, so I didn't really care. So the council, they backed me up and I, and I went and put her in there and she was, um, she was just so, so grateful because mm. she was away from that abusive relationship from the son and every time my husband went in there just to see if she was alright, she goes, don't shout at me. So no, we're not going to shout at you. So um, she decided, she stayed there for about three months and then we moved her to a nursing home and she that's where she passed away eventually. But I still went and saw her every Christmas for about two or three years. And then um, that's where the charity was sort of born. I thought, oh, actually, how many women can't go to a refuge? How many women have got jobs in their in their community, have got to leave their jobs, they've got the schools have got to be left, they yeah. might have disabled children. Yeah. You know, it's hard to get into disabled schools. There's all this, um, there's all these, rules around this uh, refuge and uh, so I I went the other way again I decided to open up a refuge where women could go and stay within their community and break every rule in the book that I was 
rules are for breaking. They're certainly for bending. Some of them you can break. So, yeah. But because I because I decided I wanted to do this, everyone was against it. They said, no, you can't do that. All the refugees are run how they... Ha every victim has to go outside of their area to keep them safe. There's all this safeguarding. There's loads and loads of stuff. And I said, no, I, I believe in what I'm doing. I know I'm doing it for the right reasons. Why should a woman, if she's, as long as she's safe in that flat, as long as I've done all the safety yeah. stuff and she's safe to be in that flat, why does she have to go halfway up the country in a room somewhere and, and drag her children yeah. up there? Because chances are she'll come back. Yeah. She's, you know, to the area with all her friends and well, family. That's and, it. You're isolated from your yeah. friends. You're yeah. isolated from your family. You're, you're completely out of your comfort zone. And this is what a perpetrators do to you. So, so now agencies are doing it to you, you know. Yeah. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying what I believed in is I wanted that facility. You know, I still have to put women outside of the area if yeah. that's the case. But I still wanted that facility. And the, the challenge and the fight with that, with lots of agencies, charity commission, all that went on for four years. And I continued to pilot that flat in that meantime, just to make a point, <laughs> just to prove it. <laughs> but yeah, so in the end, I got my I got my charity status around that um, around my thinking and. It's doing, and it's still doing, it's doing really well. And, and that flat is very rarely empty. As soon as a, a, um, somebody moves out, someone's back in there. And I work really closely with the local authority on that. We put loads of support in. And now the charity's growing, really growing fast. So we have about... What's the charity called? Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's called Newly Support. Right. So, um, so we run projects and the latest thing... Um, which is different is I'm doing wellbeing programs now. So right. once we've worked with, with the client, <coughs> sorted the children and everything out, and the support finishes, what I didn't want them to do is be back on their own again or end up in another bad relationship. So what we're providing now is yoga sessions, like a lot of wellbeing stuff, yoga sessions, business mentoring, TVs. Um, we've, even, we've even fundraised for a treadmill. So we've got one at the local homeless centre where they go down where they give them a training program to make them give them self-confidence we've got um oh the local the local leisure centre now give us 20 for 20 pound they give them six months membership so they can go swimming and in the gym oh, okay so we're doing all of that now and we're just taking on extra volunteers so we're not only um, rescuing them from their abusive homes we're taking it right to the other end now where they can actually be independent and not be back again to us, you know. Yeah. So yeah, so that's. But how so many again, women have you? When did you set that up? When was that? Well, the charity's, I think, about seven, eight years old now. So we've got a lot of, and I've just employed a support worker. I employed a support worker about a year ago. So that's took on thick and fast now because we do drop-ins. So we've at the moment we're helping 150 clients, and we're only a tiny charity. So and we fundraise a lot of our money. So, 150? Yeah. Did you ever refuse anybody? No. We've, we've even started helping men. Yeah, well, men get abused as well as yeah, women, they do. don't they? Yeah, so I know, it's, is it? There's not, a lot, there's not many charities for men, so we'll help men as well. And um, anybody, anybody really. We're not, we're, not, we're not saying, oh, you know, everybody's got a right to help. It doesn't matter which umbrella you fit under. It doesn't matter who you are. And, you know, adolescents abusing parents is yeah. on increase now, so we've got programmes set up for that as well. What, for the adolescents? For, for or the for, the, for the parents? Yeah. I, That's harsh. I actually think I see quite a lot of that. 
and I'm, I don't know where this has just come up. I see young children abusing their parents oh, and the do. parents don't know it's abuse. No, they do. The lady that was in our flat the last time, the three-year-old, that kept calling her bitch. And I said, no, you have to call her mummy. She said, no, bitch, get me a drink. She was just doing it because it's normality to her because that's what she was called by her, her partner husband. Yeah. So it took a while for him to... He trashed the flat. He was three years old. Three years old? <laughs> But we just, but you know, I've got really, I have to say, I've got a really good team of girls around me, and we all muck in as, on a team basis. I'm not, you know, they go, oh, you're the boss. I'm not the boss. I'm, I'm, I'm same as everybody else. We're all in this together because it's all client focused. We're all, it's all about the client. It doesn't matter who does what. I mean, even my admin lady, she'll go out and pick up hands and stuff or pay yeah. the milk or whatever it takes. We'll all muck in and get it done. Yeah. So, and you do need a big team around you to do that. Sort yeah. Of thing. My um, closest friend was the chief exec of a, a women's aid um, facility. Um, she's not there anymore. She's actually retired. But I used to hear some, I read, say stories. That's not the right word. She used to tell me odd bits occasionally because yeah. I think she was educating me yes. on what happens to women when yes. they're in abusive. And I was, I, I'm, Sometimes they don't it's horrendous. They can't see it. Yeah. Especially the emotional side. They can't yeah. see it and... That's why they don't always come forward, because they haven't got a bruise to show me. And I said, no, you don't need no. a bruise. And it's, actually, it's physical, emotional, financial, sexual. sexual and Is there one more? Um, financial, sexual, physical, emotional, and coercive. We've got coercive now. Yeah. Yeah. So five. Five. Yeah, Which people don't always know about, do they? They think, they think abuse is physical. Yeah. And actually... And it it's can, not always a man no. being a woman. It can be the other way around. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's quite hard going. But, I again, it's another, it was another challenge, and I had to had to see it through regardless. And sometimes I need, I just felt like giving up, thinking it's easier just to volunteer for a charity and let them sort it out. But I, can't, I have to have it all. <laughs> <laughs> I have to be in the crux of it. So coming, coming back to this having to have it all, I know you're taking on another challenge now because you yeah. said to me earlier that you got a bit bored one day, <laughs> which makes me chuckle. Yeah. But you're going to do some mentoring or some... Yeah, and I, I want to do mentoring for women mainly because I know how hard it is. But I want women to be financially independent. Yeah. You know, even... I mean, I've got a brilliant husband, but I don't want to be relying on him. I want to be out there working, you know... Getting getting my own money in, it's all about being financially freedom. And, and what, what if I did end up on my own and I was relying on my husband a couple of years ago, what would have happened? You well, know? So, it wouldn't uh, have been, yeah. Yeah, so it's a horrible way to think, but it's the right way to think because you need to be financially independent from your husband. or it, and, and you can be. It's nothing, it's, you don't need you to be looking you can, after. You can be financially independent and still be in a loving, good, good solid, sound relationship. relationship. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree with you. Or Absolutely agree with you. if you're a mum, if you, you know, whatever, or you might not be married at all, you might not be in a relationship, but that doesn't matter. You can still be independent, financial, and look after yourself quite quite easily. Yeah. Just by, just by being clever with yeah. um, investing, really. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So you're doing, I know for just from the conversation we were having before we started recording, you're going to do sort of two, three-month programmers and then do... Yeah, I'm going to, I'm offering like three months mentoring. So yeah. um, at the moment it's like set at £2,000 so we can actually 
work together for three months, get you on the property ladder, and then if you want, if you need me still, then I can offer an hourly rate at a hundred pound adult, so that you're not having to have massive financial gain, um, financial problems there. Yeah. You know, yeah, I'm not out to get loads of money out of people because I know there are courses out there, lots of courses out there charging thousands of pounds and. And actually, if you've got somebody hand-holding you, you can do it. Yeah. And it's, and it's also about saying, look, you don't, it's not for everyone. Property is not for everyone. So I'm not going to push it on everyone. It's, you have to be in that right mindset and learn to take the risk and not to worry. It's no good you going to bed thinking, oh, I've got two mortgages. You know, I've got, I think I owe about something like 5.5 million, but I don't worry about it. <laughs> it's a building society's problem, not mine. <laughs> But I will say it's the only debt that I've got and it's the only debt that earns me money. So you have to well, think of it as a, a good debt. Yeah, that's the whole thing, isn't it? There's good debt and there's bad debt. Yeah. Good debt earns you money, bad debt costs they you earn, money. Yeah, so, then money. And, and again, you know, until you get into this mind set, mind flow, knowledge base, you don't know that there's good debt and bad debt because yeah, you think all debt is debt, bad. Debt. Yeah, that's but it, right. Yeah, and it just so isn't. No, it's good debt yeah. and focus on good debt not bad, bad debt, debt. Yeah. which and I think people who have that need to have everything and I've been there so you know listeners yeah, no, I've, I've been, been there, there. <laughs> I've been there you know we focus on this we've got to have everything now or everything yesterday and you know yeah. you've got to keep up with the neighbours or keep up with social oh. media or keep up with what you see in the magazines you don't have, have to. to do no you can be your own person yeah and there's a real consciousness around making your own decisions to do your own thing in your own way and actually looking after ourselves rather yeah. than expecting somebody else you to look actually, after. If you start out in property, you will get 10 people saying, oh, it's bad that I had it. People going, what are you doing? It's yeah. a bad idea. Yeah. Well, what if you lose that house? What if yeah. you don't get... How are you going to do it if you don't get the rent paid? And yeah, they're all, they're all things that you do worry about, but I didn't. I didn't even think about it because I Well, wor worry is a forward-focused anxiety. Yeah. Wor worry is um, worry is thinking that something might is going to happen that might happen, not. and it might not. No. So it's no, it's no good. You've got to do your due diligence. You've got to do yeah. all your, you know, your research and everything, yeah. and then see what happens. Yeah. Rather mean, than worry about what might happen. Keep three months' money in the bank. Yeah. So that you've got three months void period. So you've got that. If the boiler yeah. goes wrong, there's contingencies there. But other than that, you, you'll be fine. The property yeah. rental, it, they rent out all the time. We don't very rarely have empty properties. No, I don't have voids. No, so. I've just got, um, I run HMOs is my strategy. That's yes, what I yeah, do. I love them. Do. I love them to death, which no, I know see, some I've people don't. I've that and I've never understood it either. <laughs> no, see, I, I just love them because for me, it's less risky. Because yeah. if you've got a single let and you've got a void, yes, you've got yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. With an HMO, you might have one part of oh, it yeah, void yeah. and the rest will cover it. No, that's right, yeah. So but I've never ever done HMOs and, it, and it's never appealed to me, but I'll, I'll keep looking into it. So you never know. I might just pop up one day. I'll give it, I'll give it a go. <laughs> well, you were saying you're giving service to accommodation a go. So, yeah, you have you to know. give things a go. Yeah. See what fits your, your strategy, not, yeah. not for everyone. No, it's not. Um, and actually, I've taken my portfolio now, and I've and I've diversified it to lots of different ways of yeah. service accommodation. I've got temporary accommodation. I've got um, houses that split into two flats, yeah. so that singles can have those. And most of those are with either 
they're just they've got some sort of hidden disabilities or they've got mental health okay you know, so those yeah. sort of people won't get rentals so no it's harder that's for sure yeah so those they can manage yeah you know, they've only got a little bit of top up every month and they can manage it and they make themselves little homes for a long long time and i've got a few of those which is really nice i'm getting a real a real vibe and a real good feeling from you that you give a lot back a yeah, lot back it, yeah because this country gave me a lot yeah give me a home give me a freedom and and, I, and yeah i started the business the country didn't help me do it but it's it's still i still have to give back because you can't keep taking in life so no. that's my yeah so my tenants <clears throat> we do look after those but charity is the other way of giving back yeah around. if somebody wanted to get hold of you if they're interested in your mentoring or your charity or whatever you're going to be doing in the future, (laughs) they might give you money for your charity. (laughs) See, wonderful things come from interviews. (laughs) How would they get hold of you? You There's a website um, for my charity, which is www.newleafsupport.org. Newleafsupport.org. Yeah. I've got a Facebook page as well. on, on the Facebook, which is run every day, and my mobile number is 07870 Okay, so, brilliant. Yeah. So if anybody listening wants to get in touch with um, Hasmita for anything to do with property or charity, yeah. either or, yeah. Yeah. you've got her contact detail, yeah. so give her a call. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say thank you, because I'm, I'm, really, I'm really glad I've done this interview, because <laughs> I feel like I've learned a lot as well. <laughs> Yeah, you do. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you. So this is um, Julie again. We've we've just finished the interview with Hasmita, but we've just carried on the conversation as you do with these sorts of things. Um, And Hasmita, I just want to ask you: What awards have you won, and what what press have you been in? Oh, I've won numerous awards. I've won Landlord of the Year Award. I won South East Property Woman of the Year Award for uh, over probably two or three years. Um, Electrical Safety Certificate uh, Safety Award. Uh, what was that one? That was because I'd kept all my houses in a good, good, um, okay. good stead. Uh, last year I won the Unsung Hero Award for my charity. Right. And. Oh, Make the Difference Award from the London Landlord Accreditation. That's, that was quite good. There's quite a few awards. What's, the make, the, what's the make a Difference Award for? That was for my charity, for my charity right. work. Because I didn't, although I did, although I've got my charity and I did, uh, I do help uh, domestic abuse clients. Yeah. For two years I was helping the homeless as well. So. <laughs> as you do, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> yeah, I was helping the homeless. I was, um, was collecting, which I still do, I still collect food from Marks and Spencers for my refuge, but if they don't need it, then it goes to the homeless charity. Yeah, okay. And I was out, um, going out probably twice a week, out feeding at the soup kitchen in the winter months, taking uh, quilts and pillows and all sorts. So, And I still collect clothes for them now, I'll just hand it over to somebody else, but I had to give it up because it just got too much with everything else yeah. I was doing. And I was getting quite frustrated as well that I couldn't help them more because they were technically homeless. Yeah. So I still got my, I still got, I'm still there in the background helping, but I'm not out there on the streets, literally not on the streets. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and what press have you been in? I've been in the Daily Mail, been in the Daily Express. 
Express, the Sunday Express. Yeah. Uh, done a few television programs with Phil Spencer on property, which I didn't mention earlier. Um, Homes Under the Hammer. What have you done with Phil Spencer? There was a property program where houses wasn't selling, so they asked me to go and view them and then give my opinion on um, why they're not selling, that sort of thing. But that was really good fun because he was just so funny. Yeah, he (laughs) was just messing up every time, going, You can't keep messing up. (laughs) Yeah, so we've done that. Yeah, Homes Under the Hammer, quite numerous times I've done those. And I've been, funny enough, just been asked to do another property programme called From, from the Boomerang, where they're going to do council, council house millionaires. So if there's an investor out there who owned, owns council houses, I've got, I've got a few, I think I've got two ex-council houses yeah. where, um, where now I've made a business out of it, where yeah. potentially would have been tenants, wouldn't it, if I hadn't have sold them yes. on. So I'm just waiting for them. I don't know whether I'm going to do that one or not, but that's in the pipeline. <laughs> so just adding to um, anybody that might might consider Hasmita to be their co-mentor, which I think is going to probably be a pretty good bet, <laughs> just knowing what I know and what I've learned today. Um, if you want to do your research and your due diligence on a mentor, because to be honest, we all should, and lots yeah. of people don't, which is where they get really stung Stop. with tens of thousands of pounds that they pay out uh, um yeah do some do some google searching cause oh I think, definitely I yeah think use your tens and thousands of pounds as your deposit that's what i would be saying yeah and uh, i totally agree and you can't learn it overnight property is like driving a car you'll learn it by your mistakes and 22 years later i'm still making mistakes but i'm still learning yeah oh. yeah brilliant yeah. So that's the second part of the podcast. <laughs> so I'm going to say thank you again. <laughs> and I'll get this bit added on to the first bit. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Conscious Leadership Podcast. You can contact Julie on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, and hear me out. Please subscribe to her YouTube channel for how to videos and more content. And please message Julie to have your questions answered. Until next time, remember, knowledge plus action with a plan creates magical results. See it, say it, write it, believe it and achieve it.